as we're walking through the wilderness, but not really. All right, so uh, it is kind of a wilderness journey in this life, and so we are glad that you're here. We're picking back up in Exodus in our study of uh, getting out of Egypt. Israel's gotten out of Egypt, and so now we're with them in the wilderness, and we're talking about the church on the move, the church on the move. And uh, this morning, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you and turn to page uh, 108. Uh, 108, uh, or if you have a, if you got a guest bag, uh, that Bible in there should it should be 108 is uh, where we are uh, this morning in our text, and so uh, that's good. That that was kind of a peppy song. I'm like out of breath just singing, you know. <laughs> uh, that's good. I like that. So that's good. Like doing ten foot, ten jumping jacks before you get up here to preach. So that's good. So, uh, okay, so it's been a couple months since we've been in uh, the book of Exodus and in our sermon series. So if you're new and maybe just picking up with us, I do need to do a little bit of review as we get started uh, this morning. Um, and, uh, and so for those of you who are just joining us, uh, we have seen God deliver Moses as a deliverer, right? So Moses, if you know the story of Moses, seen Charlton Heston uh, and all of that, God delivered Moses uh, from uh, death. So that he could deliver Israel linked from death. And uh, that was through a, a lot of circumstances. And we've covered all of that in the book of Exodus already. Uh, and how God brought him to be a deliverer. Uh, and so um, we've walked with Israel through the Passover. Uh, the, before that, the miraculous defeat of all the pagan gods that is, Egypt had uh, put their trust in. Uh, we crossed the Red Sea. Uh, and then we even started our journey in the wilderness of sin, <clears throat> and that took us to uh, the last day, the last Sunday in November. So it's been a couple months ago. So even though God has miraculously provided manna and quail, the last time we were in the text in, in Exodus chapter 17, we saw that they were still not satisfied, right? When they got to Rephidim and they were looking for some water and they were thirsty and they started murmuring and God in his grace and mercy instructed Moses to to smite the rock, and water just came out in abundance. And so they're all watered up, and they're all rested up. Rephidim means rest, as a matter of fact. So they're all watered, and they're all rested. Uh, and if you were here in November, I, I told you that was important because they needed to have that provision because war was around the corner. They go from water to warfare. And once again, God provided water miraculously from the rock, and Moses, uh, of course, smiting that rock was a picture of the, the water of life that flows from the Lord Jesus Christ because he was smitten for us. Literally, in John chapter 19, the Bible says the blood and the water came out. I believe that's in verse 32. And so we left off in that, that message um, talking about how God provided water from the rock for, for the church on the move. And, and there were three primary things that we saw in verses 1 through 3 of Exodus 17. We saw that we must learn to be... Uh, teachable, right? There were some lessons that they had to learn. Uh, we also saw they had to be faithful, right? And the last thing we saw is they had to learn to be dependable. So they had to be they had to be teachable, they had to be faithful, and they had to be dependable, which are three very important qualities, obviously, to, to all people, uh, all adults, uh, as he's maturing them from the children of Israel, the ones that were in bondage to this world, to what he has called an army. But now they're getting ready to fight their first battle, right? So it's important if you're going into battle that you are that you are teachable, that you are faithful, that you are dependable, because they're going to need these attributes if they're going to be successful, 
right? And uh, they need to be successful because God has set them apart to be successful. And God has set you apart, by the way, to be successful. And uh, the Bible is very key to that. Uh, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 speaks to that. And that's another message for another day. But today we're going to move from the water to warfare. As God has been teaching the children of Israel the necessity and the necessary discipline uh, that they need in order to uh, face their enemies and inherit the promised land. And so the things that God was, was taking Israel through were for their benefit so that they could live up to the title that he had given them in Exodus 6.26, Exodus 7.24, Exodus 12.17, and Exodus 12.51. And what, that, what might that title be? Well, in those places, in those texts, God called them his armies. He called them the armies before they looked like an army. When they were slaves, when they were in bondage, when they were, when they were still under oppression, God saw them and he said, these are my armies. And beloved, I, I can't help but make the connection, right? Connecting the dots that we've been saved and we are an army. We get taken out of here at the sound of the trump and we return in a military formation to, to, at the second coming of Christ. So the, the gospel is not just the death, the burial, and the resurrection. It's also the ascension and the second coming. It's all part of our salvation. And, and God sees us as we are in truth. The bride of Christ, yes, but also being equipped as sons of God in an army that he has assembled to come back and straighten out all the things that are messed up today, frankly. Now today, just cool your jets if you're watching online, if somebody's listening to this out in the stratosphere, we're ambassadors for Christ right now, all right? So cool your jets, don't worry. We don't have a stockpile of weapons out back. We're not, we're not ready to... Now, this, this, this earth, you can have it because when Jesus comes back, he'll take it and we'll be coming with him. And so God has called the children of Israel, his armies, since they were beleaguered slaves, caught up in the paganism of Egypt, right? Those pagan gods that had them in oppression. And the type is easy to see. And uh, hopefully it's encouraging as well as we see that God brings victory uh, in the midst of this first battle. So if you have your Bibles, look at Exodus chapter uh, 17. I was going to have you stand and, uh, and uh, leave you standing, but that was a long introduction anyway. If you would, in honor of God's word, let's stand. I know you got all comfy. You got your notes out. I apologize. But you know what I'm really wanting out of this message is is not our comfort, right? We want God to be glorified, and we need his power, and we need him to speak because there's nothing I have to say that's of any value. And so by God's grace, let's let God speak as we read his word and honor his word. In, uh, in Ezra, they stood as they heard the word of God read, and they acknowledged God's incredible grace upon their life. So we're in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8. won't take us long. Exodus 17 and verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as the Lord had said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And 
Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Verse 15. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his great uh, power and love and sound mind that has been bequeathed to us, has been given to us through the power of the Spirit of God. We thank you for preserving it perfect for us so we can read it today in public and we can proclaim the, the glory of God through the word of God to the people of God. Lord, we pray, God, that the power of God would be upon our lives to accomplish your mission and your power for your glory, for your honor. And we do this, Lord, by your grace. And so, Father, we're thankful for the time to stand and read and hear. And, Lord, I pray by God's grace we could keep the words of your testimony. We thank you so much for giving us your life and giving us your word and giving us your church. I pray, God, a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we find our, our, in our text that Israel was at Rephidim. And this is the location that God led them to. And I mentioned that uh, a couple months ago, but you've slept since then. So in addition to providing uh, Israel a lesson on provision, he gave them a, a lesson on rest and, and water. And now he's going he's gonna to give them uh, an opportunity to see how he provides when they're faced with the enemy of Amalek. And we need to understand that the, the, the church on the move for God must be prepared for war. Now, when I say the church on the move, just to be, I need to qualify this just for anybody listening, that uh, we do not at this church, nor does the Bible teach, in a thing called replacement theology. So I'm not saying we are the Israel of God in that sense. I'm saying that the church, the congregation, that this is a type, as Israel's on the move, uh, this church... Any local church that's following God's <clears throat> on the move. We're like a body. First Corinthians 12 says we're moving and grooving. We've got things going on. We're a church on the move. And a church on the move, right, that's going somewhere for God, they better be prepared for war. All right? That's the message. That's the, that's the long and short of it. That's why God put them through those difficulties. That's why God took them somewhere on purpose and let them see that there was no water so they could depend on him. Because there's going to be circumstances where the only thing you're going to have to depend on is God. Can I get an amen? Man, this last week I've heard two different testimonies of two different people unrelated. And they both shared the same thing. Under intense medical situations, God came through miraculously. I mean, there was no other help. There was not a medic, the medication can go as far as it can go. But at the end of the day, only God can provide. I mean, God is, is good. One brother was saying, I, I had so much pain that I, I said, God, you told me I can't take this, uh, that you will not give me more than I can bear. So please just take me home because I can't bear this no more. Said next day, boom, no pain. That's God. I mean, I know it sounds a little charismatic, but it is what it is. It's God working. There are times in our lives, that doesn't happen every day, but there are times in our lives where we just, there is no other options. 
right? You just got to say, God, help. Lord, help. I'm sinking like Peter. And God reaches down and he pulls us up. Man, that's what our salvation prayer is like, isn't it? Amen. Lord, help. Amen. He brings it. He saves us. Hallelujah. So Israel, they, they had learned to be teachable, as we saw, and they, and they learned to be faithful, and they learned to be dependable. So now it's time. It's time to go to war. It's right on time as they need to apply these lessons in the theater of war with the ancient enemies of the flesh, the Amalekites. This is the first battle for Israel since leaving Egypt. Of course, they did fight the battle at the Red Sea, but in essence, they didn't really have to go out. They just had to follow Moses across the Red Sea, and God took care of the rest. But now they're going to get after it. I mean, they're really going to put their hand on the plow, so to speak, or on the sword in this case, and they're going to get after it. So today we're going to see that the church on the move must be prepared for war, prevail in battle, and praise God for the victory. So the church on the move must be prepared for war, as we see in verses 8 and 9. So Victor Ray <coughs> Edmund said, um, he was the president of Wheaton College in 1941 to 1965 as he came through the, the war, the Second World War, uh, a very dark time in our nation's history. He said this, quote, Never doubt in the dark what God has given you in the light. How many of you heard that before? All right, a lot of you have heard that. One of my pastor formerly uh, at KCBT used to quote his, his father and Lord, Mel Sabaki used to say that a lot. Never doubt in the dark what God gave you in the light, Right? And, and when you go into dark times, you've got to depend upon the light that God has already given you. And don't doubt in the dark what God gave you in the light. <clears throat> There's another saying uh, that my pastor used to say, too, that was very apropos. <clears throat> and it, it is that spiritual persistence brings satanic resistance. And I think probably many of you heard me say that because I, I, I know that's the case and I think about that often. Because I'm persistent and you should be persistent. Spiritual persistence does bring satanic resistance. They're all watered up. They're all rested up. The next step is to do whatever God tells them to do. Their hearts are right. Their bodies are right. Their lives are right. Well, guess what? That's the time to go to war. Uh, Because the devil doesn't want that. If they were just murmuring and complaining and devouring one another, well, the devil wouldn't need to go to war with them. They're already defeated. But now they're in a situation where the devil needs to bring a stop to this before it gets out of hand. I mean, about the time you start getting your life together, you better be ready because it's time for war. It's time for war. So, so the Son of God must be vigilant even when resting in God's provision. Right? You have to be vigilant even when you're resting in God's provision. That's, a, that's an issue of maturity. God has just miraculously given them this water from the rock that Moses smote. There is no doubt. There's no doubt that God is merciful. There's no doubt that God is working in the children of Israel's life. They even have manna. They've got water. I mean, they are in a good position. But don't do this. Don't mistake rest for a discharge from what God has called the children of Israel to be. And that's an army. They they are, they were, and they are going to face enemies as they move forward through the wilderness. Of course, you know the book of Joshua. They eventually got to go in the promised land. And this is just like an hors d'oeuvre. This is just a warm-up because they will have giants to fight. But this is their first battle, and first battles set patterns. And so, and so it's very important. They're going to face enemies just like we're going to face enemies until the Lord Jesus Christ comes to deliver us. 
So here's the practical application. The enemy is at work while you're at rest. And I don't say that to scare you, but to warn you. Satan has been at this a long, long time. And the moment you let your guard down, the moment things are calm, the moment you're actually resting in the promises of God, that's when you're going to face attack. <clears throat> that's why vigilance is required in the children of God. 1 Peter 5.8, and I should say, without I don't have time to read all of the context. I wish I did, but Peter specifically, by the way, is talking to shepherds. So if you count yourself to be a mature Christian, a shepherd, a sheep herder, you are no longer a baby lamb, but you you grasp the word of God. Uh, obviously, if you're a pastor in our church, yes, or a deacon, yes. But if you're a father and you fancy yourself to know a little bit about the Bible, if you're a mother and you fancy yourself to know a little bit about the Bible, then you need to understand what I'm saying. You need to get a hold of what I'm saying. That First Peter 5 is, is given specifically to people who are responsible for the flock. And this, is, and this is a verse from there. In verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, seeketh or walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So we have an adversary who walks about. He's not a lion. He's a, he's a serpent. But he walks about like a, a roaring lion. What's his purpose? To seek who he can devour. Right? We serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. But Satan is, is likened to this roaring lion. And, and, and he likes to prowl around, moving to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And we get a glimpse into this spiritual warfare when we go to the book of Job. And without getting into the book of Job in, in all of its essence, you, can, you know right from the beginning that there's something going on and, and it has to do with men. And it has to do with God and it has to do with Satan and and Job doesn't even actually know, there's no indication in the, in the text of Job that he actually even fully grasps what's going on. But there is a spiritual war going on, and Job becomes the epicenter of it. And so we see in Job 1.7, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And, and Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth. What Doing what? Walking around, up and down in it, like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. Of course, we know that God suggests that Job might be someone that the devil would like to devour. And says, goes ahead and let him touch his, touch his life. By the way, a picture of Israel in tribulation. And a picture of Christ. There's a lot of pictures in Job. But Job 2 and verse 2. And the Lord said unto Satan, have you had enough? Let's try this again. From, from, he says unto Satan, from whence comest thou? And Satan answered the, uh, the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth. From walking up and down in it. He's still doing the same old thing. You know what he's doing right now? He's going up and down in the earth. Looking for, for people he can devour. And of course Job was a challenge. Job was a challenge. That's why God pointed him out. Because Satan was convinced. You know if I just touch this guy's skin. You know first he took everything he had. And then he. And Job to, to Satan's surprise says. Well, naked came I into the world, naked will I leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, he was able to do what Satan wasn't willing to do, and that's praise God. So then he gets to touch his skin. He's like, hey, you let me touch his skin, and then we'll see what happens. 
and all of that, Job would not charge God foolishly. And God used that to help Job in his life as well learn to be humble. So we've all seen those documentaries, haven't we, of that lion? I've seen one just recently in one of those reels. Some Someone, they got the plane around with the lion, and guess what? They got their leg gnawed off. It's terrible. Amy and I did that once at the zoo. You guys may have heard this story. We're messing around, a little lion, cute little lion paw laying there, you know, and the tail sticking out of the gate there. This is back in the old days at the zoo when you could get up close to it. And so we lean across. Well, I did, and I touched the pad of the foot, no problem. Then Amy leans across, and it turns around and goes, ah, you know, and it scares us. We're like, we're running. It's a true story, isn't it, Amos? Scared me straight. I mean to tell you. Don't mess with a lion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just don't mess with a lion. You don't want to you don't want to go poke the the bear but you certainly don't want to poke the lion. Because that lion's waiting to attack you. It's waiting to attack, you know, that poor little um gazelle, you know, that poor little thing sitting there drinking out of the creek, you know, and you're like looking at, "Oh, look at that cute little gazelle." And then, you know, that female lion just jumps out there and the race is on, you know, it's terrible. That lion is is a formidable foe. And you got to be vigilant. Uh, Military readiness is not just an Old Testament principle. I know you won't hear a lot about this in today's contemporary preaching or today's contemporary music in in the church. But just, you know, 100 years ago, that was primarily what you heard in a lot of the music. It was just understood there had to be a state of vigilance. I went and I read the autobiography of Jonathan Edwards a few years ago, and I was just shocked. Um, you know, I had all these imaginations, and I knew tidbits about Jonathan Edwards, but when I looked at the whole of his life, I was like, wow. This dude was a magistrate of his community. He had to be ready for the, the war of the Indians at that time because they were in a mission, in essence, a mission post, a little village. They had to provide their food. They had to provide their shelter. They had to provide defense. And as the preacher guy, he was in charge of all of it. He was the mayor. He was the church leader. And he had to make sure the crops came in. I mean, there was so much to be ready for. And they may have to throw down with some American Indians. And I'm like, wow. That's what the church was like a few hundred years ago. I mean, in the early 1800s, that's the way it was right here where we live. This was a trading outpost. Things change. And we quickly forget. And we get easy. We don't really realize like there's real danger. I'm not even talking about physical danger. I'm talking about spiritual danger. 1 Corinthians 16 says this in verse 13. Watch ye. This is New Testament. Watch ye. Like a watchman on the wall. Watch ye. Stand fast. In the faith. Quit ye like men. Be strong. Quoting. Stealing. Stealing from the Old Testament. About Philistines who, who, who rallied themselves to fight God's people. They quit themselves like men and they showed themselves strong and they won the battle. Paul steals from that and says, hey, listen, quit yourselves like men. Be strong. Talking to these carnal Christians. Wake up. Get yourselves ready. There's a war going on and you're losing. He's saying to the Corinthians. 
Get yourselves together. Muster yourselves. Get ready to go. Ephesians 6. You know what what, uh, Paul said? Stand for the faith. Right? Because Aaron Tippett said it. If you, it, what is that? If, if you don't stand for for something, you'll fall for anything. That's right. I know I could count on my Cass County peeps. All right. So, so finally, my, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, Paul says. Put on the whole armor of God and that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, what are we supposed to do? Stand therefore. Stand. Hold the ground. Right? Put the sword in your hand and let it cleave. Now, today, there's a lot of misdirection, right? And people think it's the right, or people think it's the left, or people think it's China, or people think it's it's uh, Russia, or whatever. But listen, beloved, it, it, God just tells you what it is. It's spiritual wickedness in high places. It is a spiritual war. It is not flesh and blood. You think those people are smart enough? No. The conspiracy goes well beyond people. <laughs> it goes into heaven. And there is a battle. For right, for wrong, for good and evil, for light and dark, but ultimately for truth and error for the souls of men. And the only thing getting in the way are these people that are called out by God. They're called Christians and he gives them his name and he gives them his spirit and he gives them his word. And many of them don't even realize how important they are to what God is doing in the world. But Paul did. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul said, hey, Timothy... Hey, son, listen up. I need you to get the, I need you to be ready. He says, you need, you need to fight to pass on the faith to the next generation. You, you don't need to fight for your right to party. You need to fight for your right to glorify my name and get the gospel where it needs to go on time. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, Timothy, the same commit thou to faithful men. You need to make sure that you know this book, that you own this book and that you give it to other men that will own it as well. And that they will give it to the next generation. That these need to be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There's no indication that Timothy was a soldier. But from the first time he saw Paul. He saw Paul get left for dead. Get back up and come back and start preaching. I mean Paul was a man's man. Not because he was all butch. But because because God's hand was upon him. And God gave him supernatural ability to preach the word of God and proclaim the word of God and to retain the word of God and to hand off the word of God and to send the word of God where it needs to go. And that's what we do as a church. That's what the battle that we're in is retaining and claiming and giving off this Bible and seeing it multiplied until Jesus comes. That is the mission of God. And we cannot get off mission. We must stay on mission even at the ultimate cost. Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. The Bible says it gets dicey. Beloved, when I gave all diligence write unto you to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. 
Jude is saying, listen, you got to contend. There is a there is a battle going on for the faith. There's a battle in particular going on over this particular book. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is no other book that gets this kind of fire. Because this particular book that I'm holding in my hand, it is the word of God. And you're getting, and you and you start hanging on to that thing, you'll find out you're going to attract flies because it is the light. Second Timothy four seven. Not only contend for the faith, you got to keep it. Only the winner gets the prize, beloved. And so you don't go in just saying, "Well, hopefully I win." No, you got to go. Anybody ever like get in a fight? You don't go into that going, "Well, I hope I win." You go, you wrestle somebody. You don't go into that thing in that match. Okay, I'm going to shake this guy's hand. I hope I win. You got to go. If you don't go in with some sort of understanding that you got a capability of pulling this off or trying to find some way to win or having a want to to win, you don't even need to be out there. You're going to be in a world of hurt. And I'm not talking about human wisdom here, so let me back up. That's a little carnal sounding. But Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now, before you get all jazzed up, man, you know how Jesus won? He laid his life down. That's how he won. He gave his life. He was committed to the death. He was convinced that God was able to get the job done with or without him, but he was with God no matter what. And the only thing they could take is his life. So he was willing to endure anything because he could. And because God gave him grace. Because he knew he had already won. He'd already won. He was in a position of victory. So just because we are at peace doesn't mean our adversary is. Right? Just because I'm at peace or you're at peace doesn't mean the adversary is at peace. As the children of Israel take rest in Rephidim, the enemies of God have plans to kill, steal, and destroy the blessings of God from God's chosen people. And this is much like what we saw just happen on October 7th of 2023. As Israel celebrated Yom Kippur, the holiest feast of the year, their adversaries attacked and they killed 1,139 Israelis and foreign nationals. 764 civilians were killed, 248 persons taken hostage during the initial attack on Israel from Gaza. That's just the news. Everybody knows that. Even in, in, in the coming tribulation, the Antichrist will rise politically as a, as a peacemaker, only to bring an all-out assault on God's people. In Revelation 6, 2, it says, And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And then, by the way, if, if your theology is that that is Jesus, you got the wrong definition. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard this second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse and that was red and power was given unto him that sat thereon and to take peace from the earth and they that, and that they should kill one another. And that was given unto him and there was given unto him a great sword. The Antichrist will look like a peacekeeper, but in reality, he will come to power to make war, especially against tribulation saints. Paul had to write an epistle just to calm the saints in Thessalonica down because they were under so much persecution, so much tribulation. He goes, hey, the day hasn't come yet, but it'll come. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5.3, he told the Thessalonians, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. The they there is not referring to us, or he would have said us. He said they because it's dealing with, with Israel. But we must be prepared to go to war with our flesh and our blood. I'd never seen this before until I was prepping for this message, but I got to looking at Amalek, and I realized, first of all, it's Amalek. He doesn't say the Amalekites. Now, Amalek's long gone, but it uses the name Amalek. I presume he's long gone. Maybe he still is alive. I don't know. He'd be really old. Uh, I'm sure he's dead. But anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, Amalek is who they're fighting. And, And when you go back and check it out, you realize that Amalek is the son of Edom. Or Esau, I should say. And that's why they come from Edom. They're Edomites. And so God, does, God doesn't say the Amalekites in the text. He says Amalek, the grandson of Esau's eldest son, Eliphaz, who was the concubine of Timnah. That, that means that Jacob would have, in essence, been a great uncle to Amalek by blood. These people had a... It's very distant, of course, at this point. And he is the son of a concubine. But in essence, they are related. Very much like, again, what you see in the Middle East today. That means Jacob would have been connected, you know, in a family line, in a family tree, going back to Abraham, going back to Isaac, his dad. The Bible makes it clear that the greatest battle we face is not with the things that are without Today, a lot of Christians are just, oh, man, they're encumbered with, because, well, because you're getting a lot, of, by the way, you're getting, a lot of that's just, you know, intended that way. Too much media. Turn off the media. Get your mind right. Get with God. All right? That'll help. Because uh, a lot of that's just messaging. To get you worried. Get you stirred up. But really, the thing that you got to worry about is not the things without, it's the things within. It's the flesh. Because Amalek serves as a type. Right? When they're at rest, when God's provided for them, who, who, who comes attacking? Well, their flesh does. Just like David, right? When he's, he's not out at war, he's up hanging out with his, uh, uh, you know, while his, his soldiers are out at war, all of a sudden that's when he's at rest. That's when the temptation comes. And Bathsheba's within eyesight. What got David, it wasn't, the, it wasn't Goliath. It wasn't his brothers. It wasn't the Philistines. It wasn't the enemies around Israel. It wasn't all the things without. God had, he had faith for all of that, but what he was lacking was the ability to defeat his own flesh. And beloved, if that doesn't resonate with you, I don't know. You're more godly than me. But the biggest fit you're going to get is your flesh. Romans 8, 12 says, Therefore, brethren, be ye debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Don't do what your flesh says. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. Amalek wanted Israel to die. (laughs) Don't make a deal with the the devil. Don't make a deal with the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. If you put your body last and you yield it to God, you're going to live even if you die. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you have God's Spirit, you are His Son. And it does not yet appear what you shall be. But the day is coming, you're going to be like Him. Romans 8, 5 says this, For they that are after the flesh 
Well, they mind the things of the flesh. Just like when we were lost, we did what our flesh told us to do. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, right, to be fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Your flesh wants to rob you of life and peace. My flesh wants to rob me of life and peace. So, because the carnal mind is enmity, it's at war against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, they cannot please God. You're not going to make a deal with the flesh. That's why it has to be crucified. That's why we have to reckon it as it is indeed dead. The only reason we got the carcass on is so that we can use it as a portable uh, vehicle to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 says, This I say then. What do you say about it, Brian? Well, I don't have a lot to say, but Paul had a lot to say. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is one of the greatest passages personally to me. I remember as a young Christian, I read that, and I'm like, yes, Lord, yes. Give me the grace to walk in the Spirit so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, uh, Eisenhower, when he uh, before they stormed uh, Europe, <clears throat> he uh, he had two letters. One was a letter of you know victory, and one was a letter of defeat. He had them both written in advance. And uh, man, I tell you what, he didn't want to drop the ball. And beloved, I tell you, I don't want to drop the ball. I hope you don't want to drop the ball. But we are in play right now, and there is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he wants to destroy us. And the fact that our flesh hasn't consumed us already is because of God's goodness and grace to us. God is so good to us. So let us walk in the spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's a a battle and these are contrary one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. You're you're not under Moses. You're not under the law, right? You're, You're in Christ. So some Christians are not worthy of attack. You know that? Because they've already done the adversary's job for them. They're not even a threat. I pray that's not you this morning. Galatians 5.14 says, For all the laws fulfilled in, in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I mean, God boils it down for people like me. To keep it simple, stupid. Right? Just, just keep it simple. Love God. Love people. All the law hangs on that. But he does say in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15, but, right, if you choose not to do that, to love God and love people, and you come to the Lord's Supper with bitterness in your heart, and you won't resolve issues, and you continue to mock me and mock me and mock me, let me tell you this. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. You will devour each other like roaring lions. Watch the tongue. Right now, I'm not I'm not actually rebuking anybody. I'm just reading the Bible. Okay. now, if you're deeply convicted by that, then get your heart right and get everything right. Because you've got to love God and you've got to love people if you're going to be successful and not be devoured by the adversary. There are some churches and some Christians that are so ate up with bitterness and hatefulness and an unwillingness to forgive and to realize and recognize their own sin and their own forgiveness that God has given them that they will somehow hold a grudge against everybody else and they don't even realize that Jesus Christ has stinking died for their sin. How in the world can we get up and start judging everybody about their sin when we've been forgiven of all ours? 
You've got a blank check of forgiveness. Give it out. Now, I'm not saying you've got to be abused or be in an abusive situation, so understand that. I'm a shepherd, too, so I understand protecting the flock. If someone who says they're a Christian won't treat you like a Christian, well, that's okay. Then don't, you don't have to fellowship with them, but you still have to love them. And you don't have to get bent out of shape, and you don't have to get bitter. That's a choice we make. And that's easier said than done. I know. I know. But I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. And why am I preaching to me? Because, beloved, I want to run this thing out, and I want to be faithful. How about you? I want to be ready for the battle. Some Christians are simply not a threat to the adversary because they pose no threat to the kingdom of darkness because of their carnality. You can't even tell them apart. They're in the darkness, and they aren't shining their light. Point C, practical steps to prepare for spiritual war. Let me, let's break this down a little bit. <clears throat> I may have to pick this up next week, it looks like. But uh, Exodus chapter 17 and verse 9, it says, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out. Fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So, number one, understand the chain of command. Moses didn't have to pray about uh, who would go and fight for Israel. He calls on Joshua, the son of Nun, to mobilize an army to meet the enemy in the field. Moses is a, is a type, of course, of the law, and he is our schoolmaster. He leads us unto Christ. Jesus, of course, fulfills the law, and he does exactly what it says. He's like, sir, yes, sir, I'm going to go gather the men, and I'm going to get them out in the battle. And in that, <clears throat> uh, many have been called, but few are chosen. In Matthew 20, verse 16, Jesus says, So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last, for many are called, but few are chosen. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So, and if you are somebody who is not a mighty person and you feel like you're, you're probably on the outskirts of culture and society and all of that, guess what? I got great news for you. You're exactly the man or woman that God wants to use. He goes, not many mighty are called. You can't hardly divorce many people with resources. There's some, but there's very few people that will divorce themselves of the world and the flesh and the accoutrements that come with this life to go all in for Jesus. There were some, there was Paul, right? We see some throughout history that do that. But typically it is that person that has nothing else left and all they have is Jesus. And they're like Richard Gere, an officer and a gentleman, and they had nowhere else to go. And God says, I'll take him. I'll take her. And I will use them beyond what anyone can ask or think because it isn't about <clears throat> what they bring to the table. It's about what I've already brought to the cross. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And Christ-like humility is what a soldier of God must have if they want to drive off the forces of darkness. Point two, choose faithful men who can teach others also. Moses commands Joshua, who is a type of Christ, to choose capable and faithful men who can deliver a blow to the adversary. Excuse me. Discipleship. Discipleship is the means by which God provides the faithful men that he can choose. He can choose to advance his kingdom. 
Hey, Joshua, what's his name? Jesus, I need you to choose faithful men so that they can advance the mission. Who's God looking for? Well, he's looking for faithful men. He's looking for faithful women. Jesus found 12 faithful men. Of the 12, we've had three faithful men. Of the three, there was one named John who went all the way to the cross. He was looking for men that were faithful. God is looking for men that are faithful. Even today, he's calling for faithful men. Faithful women, man, stand in the gap, protect your flock, be disciplined, be teachable, be somebody that God can depend upon to get the message where it needs to go on time. Oh, beloved, if we could get this concept, if it could resonate beyond these walls, if it could go through our communities, if it could go through our country, we could turn the world upside down once again before Jesus comes. And you don't have to be many. When Paul and the gang showed up at Thessalonica, that's what they said. It's like these guys, it wasn't the 12 apostles. It was Paul and Silas and and Timothy was in the group too, but he wasn't there. They said, these guys are turning the world upside down. What are they doing? They're preaching the gospel. That's all they're doing is preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. In Acts 15, when the church of Antioch was advancing the mission of God to the world, what did they do? They chose... Faithful men to accompany Paul and Barnabas. In Acts fifteen twenty five, it says, it seemed, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. The church looked out and they said, who among us is a faithful man? Who can we depend upon? Who can we send? Man, I tell you what, guys, I got plenty of opportunities to go to war for real. I mean, not real. Okay, for the camera. Not real war, not guns, not bullets. Okay. <clears throat> but I got plenty of real battles to fight in the ministry. Real spiritual warfare that we can get into. Anybody want to go? I'm, I'm serious. I'm looking for faithful men. And if they're not in the room, God, please bring them in the doors. We have a system here to train them. We are ready to equip men to do what God needs us to do in these last days. What else do we need? What do we need? We need men. We need troops. We need to fill up the seats and we need to train men and we need to filter them out. We need to find the ones that are faithful. We need to let the other ones grow slow. We've got to do what it takes to get the mission done. Beloved, if you don't know me, this is me. This is why I get up in the morning. This is why I left my job. This is why I, I live is to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God. And it does trouble me that we're not getting it done, obviously. Guys, God is passionate about the mission. So passionate he gave his life, his son. And all he's doing is calling people that can be faithful and teachable, dependable, so that they can face the, 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 the battles that are ahead. And Jesus is moving up and down the aisles and by God's grace going out in the streets and by God's grace drawing people to himself. It's not my preaching. It's not your awesome ministry. It is Jesus Christ himself that wants to get the job done. And once we're clued in on that and once we're ready to get involved and put our life in the, in the battle itself, God will do things above and beyond what you can ask or think. And you don't, and I'm telling you guys, you don't really know what I'm talking about, but you guys resonate all over the planet because of your faithfulness. And many of you are like, who, me? Yeah, you. You. I'm not trying to say that to build you up. I'm just telling you there's consequences to being faithful and there's consequences to not being faithful. 
and getting distracted and, and not being ready and fit for battle. Third thing is trust Jesus for victory. Joshua is, Joshua is a Hebrew. Jesus is a Greek. Moses put salvation in the hands of Jesus. I say Joshua is a, let me restate that. Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus is the Greek word. They both mean, let me get this straight. I misspoke that. They both mean salvation. That's what I meant to say. So to be clear on that, Jesus was not Greek. He was completely Jewish. Completely Jewish. But Joshua and Jesus are interchangeable. One is Hebrew, one is Greek in pronunciation. And they both want to put salvation in the hands of faithful men. You've got to have Jesus for the victory. And then you've got to take the high ground. You know, Moses said, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Where's Moses going? He says, I'm going to get to the top. I'm not going to get to the side of the hill. I'm going to get to the top of the hill. I'm going to get to the, the high ground. Anybody that's been involved in, a, in, a, in, in warfare knows you've got to get to the high ground. All right, you want to fight going downhill, not going uphill. Every battle, if at all possible, should be fought from an elevation position, from an elevated position. Moses and Aaron and Hur, they go up to the top of that hill, and, and they begin that, that opportunity, to, and I'll talk more about that next week, that, to, to intercede to get the battle won. But the high ground is the place of victory. You know what? Do you know we used to sing about that in the church? There's a song. It's called Higher Ground. Maybe some of you remember it. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm going every day. Still as I'm, <clears throat> I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where those abound, my prayer, my aim is... Higher ground. I want to live above this world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I pray till heaven I found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Amen. Moses, Aaron, her, what did they do? They went to the top of the hill and they got on that choice real estate, man, and they planted their feet on higher ground and they commenced to intercession. Hallelujah. The battle was won. Fifth thing is use the tools God has given you. Moses had the rod, the rod that was in mine hand. He went with what God had given him. He didn't find a new tool. He didn't say, you know, they got a new version of this. They got that stainless steel rod down there at the, at the warehouse I saw. I, I think I'll get that one. No, he just took his old shepherd's staff, the one that he'd been using, that God had given him. You know what? It wasn't his anymore. You know that? Oh, yeah, it, it's no longer his. He gave it to God. And God used it. In Exodus 4 and verse 2, I'm not telling you that we went here, but you may have forgotten. 
And the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. Right? That, that rod would be used for all kinds of things, including his, his shepherding career, his, his job. God says, that, that, I'll use that. Because I've already got a prophecy back there in Genesis that, that Shiloh is going to come through Judah and, and no one's going to, uh, and he's going to have a scepter, like a king. And you're of Levi and you've got a rod in your hand. Let's go with that. Okay, throw that rod down. But notice what he did. He says, and he said, I got a rod and, and he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from before it. You know what happened when he threw his rod down? It was no longer his. It was God. And God took that and gave it back to him and said, here you go. Now it can be used. You see, what God's asking some of you to do is, is give up. Whatever it is. And I don't know what it is. I, one of the most moving messages I've ever heard in my life uh, was by a guy named uh, Doug Ripley, or David Ripley, uh, evangelist, not to be confused with Doug Ripley. And man, he, he talked about uh, how God took things from him and, and he, had to, he had to give up his job as a cop for God to give him back what he needed. And he told this incredible story. Then he told another story of his disciple who had to give up a shotgun and then God gave it back. And I'm sitting there as a young Christian and God is just saying, Brian, I need you to give up your life. I mean, you're everything. And I'm sitting there like, oh, man. I haven't even thought about it. I mean, I'm thinking, I know what he, you know what that meant to me at the time was get into HBI, our version of HBI. And boy, I was like, oh. but if I do that, I mean, then I got to go. Oh, there's so many questions. What's going to happen? Da, 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 da. You know, and this is just my life. But you know what God was doing? He was calling me, calling me. And there's probably some men in this room, God is calling you. And you're like, well, what, what am I going to do with all the question marks? You're like, hey, you give them to God and then God will give them back. And he'll take care of your job. He'll take care of your house. He'll take care of where you go. It wasn't many years later. I'm like Israel wandering around going, where do I go, Lord? Was it even real? Oh, you know, Where am I supposed to go? I'm all ready to go. There's nowhere to go. Nobody will send me. Next thing you know, I'm boom, right here. I've been busy ever since. God has a plan. He'll get it done. But you've got to give it up to get it back. What have you yielded to God? What have you yielded to God that he has given back to you to get glory from? Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your talent. Maybe it's your treasure. Well, he tested me on that a few times. Maybe it's the hammer you swing. Maybe it's the wrench you twist. Maybe it's the keyboard you punch. Maybe it's the telephone you hold. I don't know. Maybe it's the education that you have, the career that you've established, the skills that you've learned. Maybe it's the hobby that you enjoy. Maybe it's the knowledge that you've acquired. I'll just tell you this about that. None of that is worth any good if it's not given to God for his use and his glory. And even if he never gives it back, it's worth giving away. If you trust him. Because where did you get it to begin with? That's right. He gave it to you to start with. When Moses fled from Egypt. As a fugitive. 
It was no accident that he ran into Jethro's daughter. God knew what Moses was made out of. God provided Jethro, the the priest of Midian, and, and his situation so that Moses would become not a prince, not a military general, although it comes in pretty handy right here, doesn't it? But he could become a shepherd. The thing that every Egyptian hated, the lowest form of occupation, even to this day, but in Egypt at that time, they were despised, rejected, hated, considered the off scourge. God says, hey, why don't you give up everything and just join me as a shepherd? And when the God of this world comes to this planet and challenges all of us, what's he come? He comes and announces it through shepherds. And he himself is the shepherd and he is the door of the sheepfold. And then he raises up faithful men. He gives them the message. And then as, the, as, as Peter, uh, the leader of the church at Jerusalem at one time, is writing his epistle, he says, Hey, hey, shepherds, shepherds, humility is the most important thing you're going to have as a soldier. You've got to be willing to go where God tells you to go, do what God tells you to do, obediently, exactly, with the right heart attitude. Be a good shepherd. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And there is a name given to him. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Philippians chapter 2. He's exalted. He is high. He's ascended. And he's coming again. He is worthy of of all our praise and all of our service and everything that he would ask us to prepare for because, beloved, we're in a war. And maybe this morning you're in a war. Maybe you're in turmoil in your heart and and you're not winning the war for peace. You're not winning the war for joy. You're not winning the war for, for really being in God's will. Well, guess what? This is great news. God will meet you right here today and bring you rest. This can be your rephidim. A place where God abundantly provides water from the rock of his word, fills you up, and gets you ready for the war that awaits you as soon as you step out those doors. As we conclude this morning, we'll pick this up next week. Are you ready for the war that awaits you when you walk out? If not, why not? The waters come out. God is faithful. The question is not, is God faithful? The question I'm going to leave us with today, me as well, is are we faithful? Because God needs us to be teachable. He needs us to be able to, to, um, to, to be teachable, faithful, and dependable. Teachable, faithful, and dependable. That's, that's two months ago's message. And today, we've got to be prepared for war because if we're going to be a church on the move, we've got to have readiness. That's just all there is to it. We have to be ready. Are you ready? Let's stand to our feet. Stand there for Heavenly Father, as we stand before your throne today, it's a little different than maybe some Sundays because we've just went over several verses that tell us to stand and not just stand at ease, but to stand as soldiers. Stand with vigilance. Be prepared to fight the battles that you have before us. And we know as we sit here that the biggest battle that we face is the battle with our flesh. But we know that there is a mission to advance, and it is outside of the doors. It's outside of this place of rest, this place of provision. 
And, oh, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the provision. I I am so thankful for the provision. I really am, Father. Thank you for the provision. I mean all of it, whatever, financially, but, but the Word of God primarily, just the Word of God flowing from your Word. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's It's too much. We can't even fit it in the time that we got this morning. It's just so good. We thank you for your word. And Lord, as it flows out over the top of our souls and it it gets into the nooks and crannies of our hearts, Lord, I pray, God, that you would would fill us with wisdom and understanding and encouragement and, and conviction and help us to deal with whatever in our heart needs to be dealt with so that we can be ready to face the Amalekites outside the door. Maybe it is literally people of our own flesh, people who don't understand the change that has occurred in us. They don't, don't like the promise that is now found in us. They want us to be like them, but God has made us like him. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that in the tension of this hour, Lord, that you would, that you would equip us, that you would prepare us, and we would take those right steps that you called us to take or to simply stand where you called us to stand. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. Maybe the next right step for you today is to to get baptized or to join this church or to get saved. Maybe you need to get saved this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the battle has been won. Jesus Christ has already done what is necessary to atone for our sin. You don't have to work your way to heaven because you would never get there. I would never get there. We don't do good works to be saved. We do it because we're saved. We first have to be saved, and we get salvation by grace through faith, through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. There has to come a time in our life where we recognize that our righteousness is as filthy rags and that the righteousness of God, which is Jesus Christ, is sufficient to forgive us and cleanse us from all of our sin. And when we grasp that is the way to salvation, the way, the truth, and the life, We simply call upon the name of the Lord Jesus because he died on the cross in our place. He rose again the third day, and he's alive right now, and he wants to dwell in your life. He wants to quicken you, bring you to life in Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, would you just simply, I'm not going to try to make it uncomfortable. I'm going to try to make it as easy as possible, but just simply where you are, raise your hand, and I I will bring someone to you, and they can show you in the Bible how you can know Jesus as Savior. Is there anybody at all? Say, Brian, I'm I'm up for that. I want to know. Just lift your hand high where I can see it. Anybody at all? To my left, in the middle, and in my right. Everyone here knows if you died today, you'd spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved. If you really don't know, you need to settle that. Even when I'm done praying, don't run out the door. You're going to run right into the teeth of the lion. Come and find me. Come find somebody. We will help you. We will show you in the Bible how you can know to be saved, how you can have assurance. As we tarry, obviously the altar's open. If you need to lay something down, now's a great time to do it. And Maybe you just need to commit to God to give something up, whatever it is. You know it's hindering you. Well, let go of it. Let God have it. He'll take care of it. you got to trust him. Put yourself in a place of victory. Be with the people of God. Run with the faithful of God and fight for the glory of God. That's what God needs all of us to be doing today. There's a war outside these doors. Let's be ready to go. If you're all saved, man, what an army this is as we go forth today. May we be ready with the word of God on our, on our lips. May we be ready with a sharp two-edged sword being the word of God in our hearts.
in our heads. Maybe this morning you need to consider discipleship. Just taking 16 weeks or 32 weeks out of your life, sitting down with a couple, and just going week to week in the Word of God, discipling, getting in the Word of God, growing, learning about God's Word, getting the fundamentals established. There's action items. Maybe God's calling some people to action today. Maybe Jesus Christ is calling you. He's chosen you, and you need to follow his lead. Heavenly Father, as we conclude in prayer, Lord, I trust that you will continue to do your work in your way among your people. And Lord, I earnestly pray, God, that you continue to to see us and find us faithful. And Lord, I do know that you forgive us. Lord, how much mercy and grace there was that just a if you, I mean, just a paragraph mark before that Israel was murmuring and complaining, and, and Lord, you provided for them, and you settled them, and, and, and they become usable to fight their first battle against the enemy, one of many that will result in, in literally an inheritance that, that we can see today that is still being fought over. If there's not a lesson there, there really is. We miss it. Lord, this is going to be contended for, and I pray, God, that we would be ready that we'd be faithful, that we would be committed to growing and maturing and, and being the people you saved us to be to accomplish the mission you've called us to accomplish. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your church. These are the best people in the world, and I'm thankful to be a part of them. I pray, God, that you continue to bless and keep your people. Lord, there are many needs in this body. Lord, there's people with cancer, and Lord, there's people with uh, Pastor Jeff is, is recovering from an eye surgery, and Lord, we have people bereaved like Jared, Amon, and, and Lord, so there's just a lot. And, Lord, I pray your best and your, your best blessing upon your people today, God, that you just encourage them in the word and love for you and for one another, God, that you would provide miraculously. And, Lord, most importantly, or as importantly, protect, Lord, God, protect your flock from the wiles of the devil. We just thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated and we'll prepare to give back to the Lord. Thank you for coming this morning. And, uh pray that you are encouraged in the Lord. That was a little bit a little bit intense, but forgive me if that's too intense for y'all. Uh, I just get fired up sometimes. I'll try to keep the I'll try to keep the cover on next time. But anyway, um, <laughs> so we're going to get back to the Lord. We're glad that you came this morning as we prepare to give back to the Lord. Uh, uh, we appreciate any gifts that, uh, over and above our regular offering. You can give to any of the missionaries that we support, and uh, we look forward to advancing the mission in that way as well. Thank you for your faithful gifts. It makes a big difference uh, in, uh, in being able to advance the ministry and the mission of God. So let's uh, pray. And then uh, Steve has, or Jeremy has a few announcements. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity just to come together around your word and to look at this very encouraging uh, account from the book of Exodus chapter 17 and, and see how you uh, win the battle for us. It's incredible. And we praise you. We thank you for it. We pray, God, as we give back to you now that you bless it, that you multiply it. And, uh, Lord, that you use it to advance your mission right here in Cass County and around the world. And that you get glory in every single uh, penny and, uh, and uh, every single gift that comes in. But the most important gift, Lord, is us. I pray, God, that today we'd be all in. And, Lord, you would get all the glory. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This mic's a little bit lower for me, so that's good. Uh, so hopefully you're encouraged in the Lord with that message. 
I'm ready to go out and, and charge hell from there. Uh, a few announcements that we have. So in the bulletin, I'll, I'll start a few weeks out and then work back towards today. So uh, the marriage conference is coming up in about a little over a month. That's a Friday and Saturday, March 8th and 9th. So registration, uh, you can register today. Just go on the website. There's more information in the bulletin, but that's coming up. How to Disciple will be starting Wednesday, February 21st, going for about 10 weeks or so with a few weeks off. So if you are finished up with discipleship and now you're ready to lead someone else or you want to take someone else through discipleship, that class is designed for you to help you and train you to disciple someone else. On February 18th, it's a Sunday in the evening at 5, there will be a retirement dinner, a celebration for Randy and Julie Foster for uh, their ministry. Um, and they're not going anywhere, but we want to celebrate them. So please RSVP for that. There will be a dinner. And this this week on Tuesday the, the 6th, Keeping Stitches will be at 7 p.m. in the Common Ground. So those are some things coming up, but today... Uh, there are a couple prayer team uh, meetings. The Zambia prayer team meeting will be in the Walking Worthy or what was known as the Bring-In Room. And then the Ukraine prayer team will be um, in the Mighty Warriors Room. If you're not on a prayer team, get on one. So whether this one or another one, uh, there's an opportunity tomorrow night for the Oaxaca uh, prayer team. So many opportunities but um, just like we were we were learning here uh, this morning, you have to partake. So the last thing I want to talk about is the Adopt a Street. So that is a campaign. That's an opportunity right now to take Harrisonville for Christ. And we have um, we have cooperated with other churches who will be going out for the next six months. In Harrisonville, every single address has been marked, and God has given us an opportunity to go out for our community. And what I believe is to fill up these empty seats uh, for Christ. But and it's only one day per month, really. Uh, now, more in prayer, but one day per month, uh, we have days that are set aside from March until August to go out like we do with taking the streets and invite people, but also just to say we love you. And as as a representative of Jesus Christ, how can we pray for you? How can we minister to you? So what I want you to do right now is turn to your neighbor and say he's talking about me and you. Right now, turn to your neighbor. He said, say he's talking about me and you. So. This isn't for somebody else. This is for us. God has given us the opportunity. And you may go, oh, let somebody else do that. What I want to remind you is when Christ comes and we had this opportunity, and you said, I have TV or I have, bus- I have other business that's more important than Jesus Christ and what he's called me to do, you will regret that. Now, you can, you can participate in prayer. If you can't go out and walk, you can still pray. And if you can walk, you can still do this. So there is a meeting right now or yeah, right now after we, we close in the library today. And uh, there are 26 groups of houses. The smallest group of houses is two. Can you pray for two houses and two people? 
Can, can you go and, and share the love of Jesus with just two houses? And then some of them are a little bit bigger and we'll combine and have people. But this is our church and the church isn't the building. It's you to go out for our community. So I want to encourage you to do that. There's a quick meeting right after this to, um, to sign up. You can also sign up right here for mission trips too. So God has laid a lot before us as little as just praying and as big as going to, um, someone in Harrisonville, uh, going out in, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 49, blind Bartimaeus received the sight because Jesus healed him and Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man saying unto him, be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Right now, it's time to, to go to Jesus. And he's calling us to battle. To battle to share the gospel. To share the love of Christ. So let's, let's do that. Let's pray that God would give us strength to do so. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the opportunities that you give us, Lord. That opportunity isn't for someone else. That's for us. And I pray that you would strengthen us. And give us uh, the courage, give us your strength to go forth in your name. I pray that you would send us out with your power. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.